The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right, and welcome to another edition of Winning Ponies. As you just heard, I'm John Engelhart, and I am just a regular guy, if you know me. Okay, we've got a first-time starter and a veteran in the starting gate tonight. Uh, it is the biggest Saturday, is the biggest day of racing in the state of Ohio. And I usually take a little trip up to thistle down and I usually call down my, my good buddy uh, from up there and all of a sudden he said you know what the guy you need to talk to is Hugh Drexler I said alright I met Hugh two years ago when I was up there I think for the best of Ohio races uh, interesting guy very interesting background and we will go into it he's one of those many racetrack industry program graduates uh, you may remember a jockey by the name of Hoagie Drexler. That was his father. So he traveled all over the world. He's got a lot of Puerto Rican roots, uh, speaks uh, fluent Spanish and English, so it'll be a good interview. Uh, so Hugh Drexler, who has ascended to becoming the racing secretary at Thistledown, uh, will be joining us first out of the gate. And then none other then the king of Louisville to give us the wrap up of what is happening at Churchill Downs on Saturday. Unbelievable. 11 race program with seven stakes. We're going to look at three count of three grade twos. Of course, the top one being the one you might be most familiar with, and that's the Stephen Foster. And we got a bit of a super horse in the field, none other than Maxfield, who has only tasted defeat once in his life. And it's when he shipped all the way out to Santa Anita and got beat in the Santa Anita handicap by two links. Jose Ortiz back in the saddle, coming off a win in the Alley Sheba at Churchill. Interesting thing, though, Maxfield has never run a mile and an eighth the distance of the Stephen Foster. So we'll be asking none other than the king of Louisville, Byron King from the Blood Horse, to help us break it down. It's a win and you're in race, too, the Stephen Foster. Well, let's get some late breaking news uh, that comes out. Always happens on Thursdays. How about this? And you will see this in the past performances of some of the races we're running that horses are beginning to get uh, transferred from uh, the Bob Baffert barn to uh, to other barns and trainers. And uh, the newest one that happened is Life is Good. Yes, you remember that name because he was considered perhaps the favorite for the Kentucky Derby. He was the favorite in all of the uh, the Derby future races. Uh, he three for three over the winter for Bob Baffert. And uh, he came over to the Keeneland race course with uh, Destin Heath, who is their uh, training director, manager. I met him when he was an exercise rider for Tommy Drury. Uh, but anyhow, Life is Good worked in the morning uh, with Destin Heath. Uh, uh, and uh, he went in 37 and went out in 49 and 2. So I guess he feels pretty good. And he is going to go 
from the barn of Bob Baffert to Todd Pletcher. So very interesting move there will be something uh, to keep an eye on uh, as people are restricted. They can't race right now in Kentucky or New York if the name Bob Baffert is associated with the horse. Uh, Winstar also earlier this week uh, transferred the four-year-old Colt Country Grammar from the Baffert barn to Pletcher. So, uh, you know, they're saying no hard feelings, but until things get cleared up with Bob, we got to get our horses some action, according to Elliot Walden. Uh, now, just last week, we had Terry Meeks on the show talking about the different whip rules. Finally, some positive news. Uh, it looks like Kentucky has advanced a whip rule that the Jockeys Guild is signing off on, and they believe that this could be the model for North America. So in other words, getting away from the severe restrictions of what we've seen like at Monmouth Park and maybe on the West Coast. So what we're you need to know is the chief changes, it sets a limit of six overhand hits per race with no more than two strikes in succession uh, to see if the horse responds to the whip. And uh, now they say that jockeys may also use the whip in a backhanded or underhanded fashion from the three-eighths pole to the finish line, which doesn't count the six-time the overhead uh, whips. Boy, I hope these guys know how to count because it's going to be interesting when we're out there riding a horse, remembering how many times you tapped it. So uh, you can uh, tap the horse on the shoulder with the whip in the down position and both hands holding the reins and touching the horse's neck. Uh, that will be permitted. And as long as you can show and wave the whip without contact is also allowable. That's very big to a lot of the jockeys that I talk to. Um, but the, uh, the wrist holding the whip can never go above helmet height. So you won't see anybody taking those big old swings uh, with the overhand again. Now, if, if you do forget the count, you can be punished with either a $500 minimum fine or a three-day maximum suspension. And, of course, stewards can always move that up. But uh, Terry Meeks is uh, good with it, so so should we. Obviously, he's got the support of the Jockeys Guild. Now, in New Jersey, it looks like Haskell Day is going to be a perhaps even bigger day than usual because a bill legalizing fixed odds wagering on horses was passed unanimously by both houses in New Jersey. And now the governor's just got to sign off. And they're thinking it might start July 17th, the day of the grade one TVG Haskell. So they've been pushing hard uh, to, to get it there. And they're going to be dealing with an Australian firm called Betmakers that operates the fixed odds betting. So once you lock in on a horse, folks, You've got those odds, so uh, you you'll will be betting a little bit early, perhaps. You might not get to see him in the paddock, but that could be the difference between a three-to-one shot and an even-money shot uh, when the gates open. I mean, let's face it, how many of us haven't made a wager thinking, oh, this is good, I'm getting three-to-one, and then boom, the gates open up. It's like, oh, man, I'm even-money. I wouldn't have bet that horse if it was even-money. Who knows? But anyhow, the good news is it's going to start there. So um, we'll find out, you know. I mean, uh, you know, $25 billion is wagered annually on racing in Australia. Uh, so maybe this could be a model, too, for the rest of North America, just like uh, 
the, uh, the the whip rule. We will find out. So uh, that that is the hope that it will spread across the U.S. Now, here's a guy that uh, has been grabbing headlines, though he's not a common name, and that's Juan Hernandez gets Jockey of the Week. On Saturday, he got a leg up for Richard Mandela on Candrell in the si- si- Siren Lure Stakes. How about that? The Siren Lure Stakes. It's six and a half on the turf and got the job done. On Sunday, he rode heavily favored Big City Lights for trainer Louis Menendez, and I captured another win. And then he continued his winning ways. Man, you got to like this horse. Warren's Showtime for Craig Lewis in the Grade 3 Wilshire Stakes. So uh, he won at a 29% click, 50% in the money. And his total purses were 369000 to leave all jockeys in North America. Congratulations to him. Now, we looked at some races last week. Let's go back uh, to the ones that we did look at. Remember, it was kind of thin, folks. So uh, so were the races we, we sp- spoke about. Um, on Sunday, we'll rewind. It was the poker at Belmont Stakes. And the winner in their upset time, Raging Bull, was three to five. And the winner at 17 to one, Oleksandra, a Neil Drysdale trainee, regularly ridden by Joel Rosario, who was in the saddle on Sunday, got up by a neck late, paid $36.80. How about this? A mare. Taken on the boys, the only distaffer in the field gets the job done. Uh, finishing second was the heavily favored Raging Bull, who's uh, now won over $1.5 million. In the third spot was Front Run the Fed. All right. Now, he, here was a race. It was an overnight stake, but uh, – Brought a lot of interest because everybody thought, ah, put a ring around Sconson for Greg Foley. By the way, a tip of the cap to Greg Foley, a partnership I'm involved in. Got the win today at Churchill Downs, uh, trained by Greg Foley. But I digress. The winner in the Roxalana was Bell's the One, trained by Neil Pesson, ridden by Corey Landry. This horse has been keeping tough company all the time and i guess that class prevailed also the fact that this horse loves churchill but it had never won at six and a half furlongs before sconson swept to the lead into the stretch but got caught at the wire rounding out the try was ms mosaic then the san juan capistrano on the turf at san anita the winner in there acclimate Went wire to wire under Ricky Gonzalez. This horse won the San Juan Capistrano in 2019. How about horses for courses and horses that love a certain distance? That was the case with Acclimate, seven-year-old gelding trained by Phil D'Amato. Again, congratulations to Ricky Gonzalez. In the second spot was Astronaut and third was the favorite Red King who just got too far back in the running of the race. All right, that was a look at last week. So again, we're going to be talking with Hugh Drexler, who's a very interesting background in the world of racing. And uh, up at Thistledown, 
wow, he, he and his team, he always says, hey, it's not me. It's these guys working here. Um, Rich Ruda, of course, uh, one of his main men. Um, the Ohio Derby, obviously the key. It's a mile and an eighth. Holy cow. I opened up the form. and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm sure a lot of other people said the same thing. There, There's three graded stakes winners, two graded stakes horses. And if you're looking for your favorite jockey, chances are he's in North Randall, Ohio on Saturday at the Ohio Derby. Nine of the 11 jockeys slated to ride will be coming from out of town. Good news for the betters who want to see top jocks. Bad news for the Thistle Down colony. But uh, one of the tepid favorites here at 7-2, Todd Pletcher, trainee, promise keeper, who seems to be getting better. Luis Saez coming in to ride that one, coming off a win in the Peter Pan. Other than that, just about everybody's 3, 4, or 5-1, to one, including a... Bob Baffert transferred to the barn of Rudolph Brissett, uh, coming off a nose loss in the Sir Barton at Pimlico. Hosier, you'll remember that name. He was behind Concert Tour that we talked about earlier on the show in several races uh, out on the West Coast. Uh, for my bet, King Fury coming out of a win in the Lexington Stakes in the slop. And according to people I've talked to in Cleveland say, eh, it's 50-50 that it might rain. So adjust your handicapping for a fast and sloppy track. And if it does rain, I think I'm going to King Fury. We're also going to look at the quarter-million-dollar Lady Jacqueline and a race for the Buckeye Breads going on mile and eighth. And that will be the Cleveland Gold Cup. All right, that's a look at what's coming up and what happened last week. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Hugh Drexler. I'm John Engelhart, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. BUSR brings you the best options for Triple Crown season, and now is the time to get in on the action. Bet on the Kentucky Derby with BUSR. Enjoy daily rebates and cash bonuses, including up to a $500 welcome bonus for winning ponies listeners. Enter promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, when you sign up at BUSR.com backslash ponies. Again, that's promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, at BUSR.com backslash ponies bet with confidence bet with busr you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john inglehart racing's regular guy the phone lines are open and are toll free 
1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. And with me is Hugh Drexler, who has been a very busy man in the weeks leading up to the Ohio Derby. Because as I stated, he and his staff have done a great job, not only at bringing horses in for the Ohio Derby, but also the Lady Jacqueline. Listen to trainers that got horses going at Thistledown in that race. Todd Pletcher, Bill Mott. Brad Cox, and Kenny McPeak. Some pretty tough trainers right there. So, with no further ado, how are you, Hugh? I'm excellent, John. Thanks for having me on tonight. I'm glad I could, man. Like I said, you guys put together an outstanding card, and uh, I'm not just patting you on the back. I mean, it is a great one from top to bottom. But those two races, the Ohio Derby and the Lady Jacqueline, are great. But I get ahead myself. I'm trying to figure out who, who Hugh Drexler is. Now, when you told me your dad was a jock, I'm like, damn, I know that name, Drexler, Drexler, Drexler. But your dad was a longtime jockey that ran against some of the best. And um, uh, how, do you pro- how, do, how do you pronounce his nickname or first name, whatever? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how he started going by that name, but the name is Hoogie Drexler. His, his actual name is the same as mine, which is Hugh Allen Drexler. But when he started riding in Puerto Rico, I, he kind of took on that nickname, and it, it never changed. That wasn't his legal, legal name, but that's what he went by when he rode. Well, you know, when I was looking him up, because after, I mean, it went off like a light bulb. Because I'm like, yes, I remember that guy, you know, going uh-huh. back a few years, mind you. I'm not a young man. Uh, and then I started researching him, and, you know, he was riding with Hawley and McCarran. I saw uh, that he rode the Naira circuit. I think it was back in the late 70s. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, he stayed pretty busy. And I think a lot of the times he pretty much uh, had little Hugh with him in tow. He did, yeah. We did a lot of traveling, him, my mother, and myself. Um, you know, we, we went up and down the East Coast, West Coast. Um, as I told you before, he ended up going to Macau for a couple of seasons, and uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to go there, but uh, he did well out there. I mean, he, he did well at every track he went to. Uh, he was leading rider at Suffolk Downs for a couple of years, and then he ended up breaking his back. And then the year after that, Suffolk Downs closed. So that kind of forced us to move away from Boston, and we kind of bounced around for the next 15 years after that. Well, looking at your career, you kind of bounced around uh, quite a bit too, but in a good way. Uh, you've done a little bit. And by the way, if anybody wants to uh, Google Hugh Drexler, there's a great story on him. I can't read it all. It's only an hour-long show. Uh, but it's called uh, Parabet Racetrack Industry Student. Uh, experience positive changes. So that'll give you a lot more information than what I'm going to be able to get out of them in the next 15 minutes. But um, so, Hugh, I'm reading the story and I go back and I've told everybody you're the racing secretary up there. And I see that the story is dated 2019. Well, it's only mm-hmm. 2021. How did you ascend to being a racing secretary in that brief window of time? You know, I'll try and make the story as brief as possible. I was supposed to go to U of A in the RTIP program straight out of high school. So 
So this is going back to about 2001 when I graduated. Problem with that was I had some friends that got into real estate in Arizona around that time. And I don't know if you remember, but the real estate market was insane. So that kind of put my plans on hold for a couple of years. And it ended up being a 15-year thing. So I got involved in real estate and, and everything got put on the back burner. But I had actually, in high school, I worked at Turf Paradise. I mean, I, I started out bagging hot dogs there, worked my way up to the tote room, was um, one of the OTB directors, so I would go to the different uh, different bars and set up OTBs, and that was kind of when, when the OTB was in its infancy in Arizona. And then, you know, me and my wife, we got together and we started talking about what we wanted to do in the future. She wanted to go back to school to be a nurse. I wanted to go back to school to, to finish my kind of my passion. So she finished her degree. We had a child. We moved down to Tucson. I finished everything in about a year and a half because I already had all the all the prereqs that I had needed for that program. Right. Did an internship at Santa Anita. Did a couple of paddock show hosting gigs and things like that. So kind of sharpened my teeth there. And then I was given an opportunity at Penn National, straight out of out of college. Essentially, I mean, I, I went back to college as an older student. Uh, so moved across the country, moved my family across the country in a U-Haul, everything to be a, basically a racing official. At Penn National, they allowed me to do just about every job there. Trained, there was cross-training. We were a little short-staffed, so basically I was, I was useful in a lot of different places. And a, a gentleman that I became really good friends with, Alan Firestein, was like a mentor to me. He helped me do everything there. Um, and then after that, I, I was kind of getting to a position where, you know, I, I needed a little bit more. I, I already kind of knew what I was doing. I'd been on the backside before for many years. I knew horse racing. I was passionate about it. And the opportunity came up at Jack Thistledown for racing secretary. A lot of people probably thought I was crazy to apply for it, but Patrick Ellsworth, who is the current director there, saw something in me. We had a couple of interviews, had a couple of discussions, He's forward thinking. This was his going to be his second year as director of racing at the track. The first year he actually was racing secretary and director. Right, and that's it was what I'm about. We just, yeah, there you go. So we we just hit it off. Um, the interview went well. He he saw my passion. He saw my my ideas, and he took a chance. And you know, for that I'm forever grateful. And so it, it came, you know, full circle basically in a couple of years. So it, it doesn't always happen that way. But, you know, the first year was a little rough with COVID and things like that. But this year, our team, we've really been able to dedicate ourselves to improving our product. And I think that that's shown. Now, a lot of people, especially when it's casino, racino type thing, they say team. And it's kind of a bogus thing because everybody's on the, you know, hey, let's get our team members together. And, you know, come on. If you're a regular guy, you're like, "Eh, you guys are kind of bogus. But I've been in your office and I've seen you guys work and you really have developed a a good team of people there. Everybody was hustling. And then when it was over, we're done. We got the car done. Let's go out for a couple beers. There's nothing better than that in racing. Now, I got to ask you a quick question. Do you also do the morning line? I don't. I I know that at a lot of tracks, the racing secretary is responsible for that. But at our particular casino, it is a union job. So one of the assistant mutual managers is actually responsible for putting together the morning line. Well, this guy must have pulled his hair out when he finally got the past performances for the Ohio Derby. 
this is a who's who of perhaps future stars, uh, horses that were being hyped uh, throughout their career that have taken a side road and are back. Uh, You know, uh, as I stated uh, in the first segment, you know, you've got horses that used to be trained by Bob Baffert. You got horses that are trained by Todd Pletcher and Kenny McPeak. And I I better stop there. I'm going to get in trouble with some of the other big trainers, but I mean, (laughs) what, what a field and, to make a lot because you got so many horses maybe it's the first time they're trying a mile and an eighth or you got horses that just won at a mile and an eighth and last time i talked to you, it was 50 50 on the rain how we looking and mm-hmm. t- t- tell me about this race well it's on the rain it's still 50 50 the, the popular saying here is if you don't like the weather here in cleveland wait 15 minutes and it might change so that part we're not sure about but the race itself has come together nicely so like, I, you know, we were talking about the team thing. Um, Keith Rutherford, he is our horse identifier. And then, of course, Patrick Ellsworth, who is our director of racing. We've worked since we came back from the off season on putting this race together. So we've been plotting, following graded stakes races, following three-year-old races, following the older fillies and mares going around the ground, basically in preparation for this. So my goal at the beginning of the year was to get 40 nominations in the Lady Jack, 60 in the Ohio Derby. 60 is, is just a couple more than what we got last year. With that in mind, you're thinking you get at least you know 20% of the horses that are nominated in there. So a lot of times it, it doesn't always fall the way you want it to. But in this in, in last year, if you look at that as an example, we, we got the Derby points. We kind of set that up. We had a full field. We had one horse who was a graded stakes winner, you know, British Cup juvenile winner, and two-year-old of the year. But we didn't really have the rest of the horses. We had a couple of maidens and things like that. So we had a nice full field, but we didn't have the quality that we have this year. And I think that attributes to some of the exposure that maybe we got last year because I have talked to certain trainers this year. I've called them and told them about the race, and some of the guys didn't know where the Ohio Derby was which was kind of strange to me. It's a grade three. It's 500,000, right? Well, you know, they know where it is now because they came back. Exactly. So, yeah, we've we've got the names. You know, we had Bill Mott here last year. Uh, You know, Peter Erton obviously brought that horse. Um, We had a couple of big names last year as well. But this year, I mean, yeah, if you go down the list, we've got Pletcher, Brissett, McPeak, Brendan Walsh. Uh, we've got a new a new shooter. I haven't heard much about him, but Kyle Connor Mori, he's coming in with a couple of nice horses. Uh, I'm going to bet, I'm bet his father is Eduardo Caramori because that's not Smith. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember of his course. father was a good trainer in the Midwest. So I, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but we'll find out. He certainly comes from a good background. But I interrupted you, Hugh. Um, now, can can you tell us? who you like in here or how you expect the race to shape up? How's that? Here's the way I look at it now. I'm, I'm no longer a handicapper. I used to play the ponies. You know, I'd, I'd go Breeders' Cup. I'd have fun, do that kind of thing with my buddies. Now I'm looking at it differently. As, as racing secretary at Thistledown, I'm looking at the horses I feel are best suited to carry this race into the future. So I'm looking for that horse that's an A other than, that maybe just won a grade three who looks like he's getting better to win this race so that we can work on our graded status in the future. So with that in mind, I'm looking at ethical judgment, who I think, you know, based on his couple of last races is, is on the up and up, very impressive. 
I, lo- I saw his last race. It looks like he runs exactly like his father, honor code, head down, uh, not a lot of wasted stride. Uh, we've also got Mask Parade, who just blew the field away in that A other than allowance. And then, of course, we got Promise Keeper, who's already won the Peter Pan. You know, Todd Pletcher knows what he's doing with these horses. He places them well um, with, you know, with certain races in mind for the future. So, I mean, that's the type of horse that could go on to a, a Breeders' Cup Classic win. So those three horses are the horses that I'm really looking for. Uh, to kind of carry this race and, and graded stakes and that kind of thing for us in the future. But at the same time, I, w- I wouldn't mind if one of our locals popped up and did some damage. I mean, we've got a trainer here, James Jackson, who has been a supporter of the Ohio program for many years, yes. does really Good well guy. here, and he's got a nice horse. I mean, if this horse can get the distance, you never know because this track is very specific. Well, he'll be one of the speed horses. Uh, we'll see where, how about this, Louis Sayez places Promise Keeper from the rail. But it looks like he's got uh, good tactical speed. But anyhow, handicappers, pull down this race. Pull down the easy win forms. You're going to need all the help you can get. This is just great. All right, while we're talking about great fields, you and your team, you did it again in the quarter-million-dollar Lady Jacqueline. Now, this will be a mile and an eighth, so you're asking them to stretch out, though there are uh, fillies and mares, so a lot of them, you know, have uh, gone a bit of a route of ground, but mile and eighth is a stretching it. I've got the big question is, is Spice of Nice coming? Uh, because the, the, uh, Pletcher had the option to go to Churchill, too. You know that that's a question that I'd, I'd love to know the answer to, and and I'm I'm really hoping that it happens. Not only to have another Todd Pletcher horse in here in Spices Match, which is phenomenal at the same time, but he called me the day after, and he named John Velasquez on there. So, you know, when I'm looking at jockeys coming here, I'm thinking there is a world where we could see Luis Saez, Joe Bravo, Martin Garcia, and obviously the the great Johnny Velasquez. I don't think it's going to happen because I looked at the entries at Churchill Downs and, and John's listed on a bunch of nice horses. Um, so, I mean, I can wish and I can hope, but at the same time, I'm realistic and I'm, I'm not, I'm thinking it's maybe 10, 20% that he comes here. Well, he's going to wish and hope that he can get by Latruska, but that's for the next segment. <laughs> Anyhow, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, in in the Lady Jacqueline, just kind of give me an idea because this is another one that the odds are really spread out by whoever your odds maker is. Yeah, this one it's all over the place. I mean, we've got Horologist who is proven. You know, her her most recent start almost kind of looks like she'll run a good race, bad race, good race, bad race. So I mean, with that in mind, she'll probably run a big race here. I really like Crystal Ball. I think she's coming in strong. I, I saw that last race of hers. She looked like she was done at the three-eighths bowl, and it looks like this filly is all heart um, the way she fought back that day. You know, you've got Miss Bigley coming out of the Shawnee from Envutante, which I believe Envutante is also in the Florida Lee, is she not? You are correct, sir. Yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm thinking that's one of the horses that, that could upset Latruska. Um, Jilted Bride, you know, obviously coming from the Steam Asmussen barn, I, I think that might be the first horse he's run here. I don't quote me on that. And then, of course, we've got a couple. We've got a local horse. We've got the Ken McPeak shipper uh, coming in from Chile. I mean, that, that she could be any sort. Get rid of what ails you, who comes from off the pace. It, that tactic or that style is not really, um, has not really done well here at, at Thistledown. Usually you're looking at front runners just because it, it's kind of a heavier, tiring track. 
you want to be closer to the pace. But, I mean, she's got a big closing kick, so you really never know. And I've never seen these kind of horses here, so anything can happen. Well, you you uh, you, you you did uh, uh, touch on um, Jilted Bride, the Asmussen training. That filly has never been off the board. <laughs> That's not too bad. That's pretty consistent. And uh, she's done it on off tracks and she's done it on fast tracks. But again, the mile and an eighth kind of, uh, you know, unique. You're, 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 you're testing some of these horses. So this could be an opportunity for uh, some of your Thistledown fans to maybe uh, get a little price in the $250,000 Lady Jacqueline. Absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. And this race itself is kind of tricky. When, when I talked to Patrick about it in the beginning of the year and he told me that this race was coming back, I was excited about it. But at the same time, I've seen, you know, the older Philly and Mare division going around a ground, you know, five, six, sometimes in Santa Anita, they're running four horse fields. So when I started to hustle this race and, and kind of set it up, I didn't really think we were going to get a ton of horses. So, I mean, I'm, believe me, I'm thrilled with the nine-horse field. The, the thought process was if, if we couldn't get a good, solid field in this race, we were thinking about maybe for next year making it more of like a Philly and Mare sprint. But, you know, the way this race shaped up, we, we might have to keep it at a mile and an eighth and continue this route. But I guess we'll have to wait and see after the race runs. Well, I could certainly see a lot of these trainers and uh, the, these quality horses using this as uh, kind of a, a springboard into some of the route races at Saratoga uh, next month. Or, well, it's, let's see, it's not July quite yet. But uh, anyhow, at, at Saratoga down, down the road. Well, uh, before uh, we head off, uh, I do want to uh, tell you, everybody out there that um, the uh, Dan Stearns Cleveland Gold Cup contested at a mile and an eighth. Hey, you guys won't have to move the gate for a while, that's for sure. Let's hope you don't get stuck in the mud like we did one year. Uh, but anyhow, um, the uh, the Cleveland Gold Cup, uh, again, this is for Ohio Bred. A lot of these horses have faced each other, and it seems to me that most of these horses that have faced Buckeye uh, Magic uh, – it had a pretty tough spot. Uh, our boy uh, Johnny McKee uh, coming up from the Cincinnati area to ride. He and Drury make a formidable team. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the race set up a little better than I expected it to. We, we didn't get a ton of nominations in here, and I wasn't really sure how it was going to play out. But the 10-horse the field is solid. I mean, we have the maiden on the outside who, first time out, that was a huge race first time out. Um and then outside of that, a couple of these horses just kind of run against each other. And then, of course, you've got Buckeye Magic, who a lot of people that I talk to say that, you know, that's your winner. However, Bob Gorham, I would never count him out. Silvano nope. Gonzalez and Charlie Williams, they've been huge around Thistledown for many years. Um, and then, of course, you've got Tim Ham. So Tim Ham and Luis Saez with the seven horse historically, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up and want to run a huge race. No, no, not not at all. Well, uh, you, I, I, I hope that the uh, the Cleveland weather, uh, you know, plays in your your favor, and uh, that that you have a big big day up there. And uh, all I can tell our our fans is uh, our listeners is you might not play Thistledown all the time. Trust me. Now, the three races we just talked about are part of a pick three that's going on. So, uh, you know, pick three, all stakes, 
And like I said, the odds are spread around about as much as you'll see uh, in, in a in a three race sequence. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of great opportunities up at Thistledown on uh, on on Saturday. And uh, Hugh, uh, run down uh, if you would. When does the action start up in beautiful North Randall, Ohio? You got it. So twelve twenty. Yeah, if you'll allow me to do a plug, twelve twenty. It's going to be our first post. Our Lady Jacqueline is going to be run at 4.14. And then our, uh, let's see here, the Ohio Derby should be run at 5.04, should be the numbers there. We've got about seven-plus of seven plus fields of 10 horses or more. We've got a mandatory Jack 6 payout. So our, our pick six is going to mandatorily pay out that day. We also, on the undercard, have a, a filly by the name of Esplanade, who ran second to Vequist in the spinaway, uh, the grade one event. So we've got a couple of nice horses on the undercard as well. We're also going to be part of the cross-country pick five with the Ohio Derby. And, of course, I think Churchill Downs and Belmont and their other stakes. So there's a lot of, a lot of good races to bet on. We've got some of the best Ohio product to, to display on that day. And, of course, we've got the Lady Jack and the Derby. So it's going to be a wonderful day. And we do appreciate the exposure and everybody watching and and seeing what we're putting together over here. All right, Hugh. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I, I appreciate it greatly, and I wish you guys a fantastic day up there at Thistledown on Saturday. Thanks so much, John. Talk to you soon. All right. Speaking of talking to you soon, soon we're going to talk to Byron King after this break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win Form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. And now with us, the King of Louisville, none other than the Blood Horses, Byron King. How are you, my friend? 
I'm good, John. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. The sun's shining. I'm on the right side of the grass. I'm not in jail. Everything's good. So we're okay. We're okay. Right. Sounds good, man. That's what. Uh, it's all good here, man. Just sitting on my, sitting on my throne here, and and you know the king of Louisville, as you call well, me. <laughs> hey, do us a favor. Just don't flush while we're on the air. Exactly. No, I didn't mean that throne, pal. <laughs> oh, a different. Oh, your gold throne. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise known as my office depot chair. Yeah. So uh, I, get, I got mine too right now. Uh, so uh, how are things going? To update us on the blood horse because you've moved to a monthly. How's the response been? I think good for the most part. You know, it's always changes a little bit hard. Uh, one thing we've we've found with the monthly publication that you know one of the challenges that you have is it's hard to have um, recaps that would follow the week's action from before. Obviously, because you're producing it every month. You know, so we've incorporated some other things that are available to subscribers that can allow them to check stakes results and special, you know, pedigree information. And it's a product that we call Blood Horse Plus. And we also have some cool videos and things related to that. But uh, I tell you what, now, you know, for those getting the, the monthly edition, it's rather thick. It's a big, big, just chock full of uh, features every month. But, um you know, it's the nature of uh, the magazine game. You know, there's just very few weeklies that exist out there anymore. It's much more of a monthly thing. Um, and I think people will eventually adapt. Well, still, I go up on the blood horse every day. And if I need quick race results or recaps or anything like that, it's all up there. You don't have to wait for a magazine to come out right, uh, to, exactly. tell you, <laughs> to tell you anymore. You know, in fact, I, most I, of my... Most of my contributions are, are primarily via the website and Blood Horse Daily, which, of course, is our, our daily newsletter that comes out. You can deliver it right to your email, or you can hop online and snag it. So there are many, many different avenues to keep track of your news, and um, we're multifaceted there at the Blood Horse. All right. Well, you're down there in Louisville. I know they they usually kick off the meet with a big race on the first Saturday in May. Uh, anything new happening down there? Any new information coming out from Churchill? Well, they're they're ending their meet here on Saturday with uh, quite a bang. They've got stakes race after stakes race, and you got Maxfield going in the Stephen Foster, which unfortunately I don't think is a a vintage Stephen Foster. I think Maxfield is a very good horse. I think he's a top five, you know, of the older dirt horses in the country, probably top three or so, you know. But um, the rest of them are probably more kind of grade three worthy, uh, the rest of the field. But you do We'll have get to that race in a minute. Point. I want your overview of the Churchill meet while you're down there. Okay, sure. Yeah, well, you know, the Churchill meet has been very good. You know, they've had a lot of great purses. I mean, it's it's been crazy. I mean, when you think about it, for example, you know, the sixth race on Saturday is an allowance optional claimer, a one of event, and the purse is $102,000. You know, that's just wow. insane. I mean, uh, you know, when you compare that to stakes races, that might be 150000 on this card. And at other tracks, they might even be smaller than, you know, $100,000. So yeah. uh, that's huge numbers, and that is all 
well, not all, but a great deal to thank for that is historical horse racing gaming, which has been so lucrative in this state. And that's allowed them to add more to purses. And then as they've added more to purses, the fields have gotten bigger and the betters have poured in more money into the wagering. So it has um, benefited one another there. So um, that has been a very good thing for the state of Kentucky in terms of horse racing. All right. Well, I, I don't want to go down the Medina Spirit Road because anybody that's been following that story realizes that they ought to just start a new CBS soap opera, you know, uh, how, how Baffert's world turns or uh, something like that. Because every day there's something new in the headlines. So we'll just talk a year from now and see how everything unraveled. But we are noticing in our handicapping um, the movement of horses from Baffert's barn. Uh, a lot of them are going to Pletcher. I'm sure some, we see one, Rudy Brissett's got one in, uh, up at Cleveland this week. Uh, so we're going to see more of that. And let's face it, Byron, as, as much as, uh, you know, if you were my trainer and you got stuck in the same position, I'd say, Byron, I love you, but I got, I got a lot of money invested in this game. And if you can't race in New York or Kentucky, I got to give the horse to somebody where there's some action. So, like I said, you're going to see it. You know, somebody with his reputation, I think, is going to uh, live in the long run. I, I don't think this is the end of uh, him as a trainer, but uh, he's going to face an uphill battle over the next year. Oh, no doubt about it. It has definitely uh, affected him. And, of course, there are court cases to come. He has sued the New York Racing Association seeking a uh, uh, an injunction. Um, so that is coming up in July, that hearing. So uh, that could potentially change things for him if he is allowed to race in New York. Of course, in each of these cases... Um, in the short term, it doesn't really affect Churchill or New York all that much in the sense that, especially Churchill after the Kentucky Derby and all that, uh, Baffert pretty much lays pretty low. He'll run just a sprinkling of horses. And New York obviously ships in for the major stakes and wants to win things, you know, the Travers or the King's Bishop or something like that, uh, or I should call it the Alan Turkins. It was once called the King's Bishop. But the... Um, you know, obviously he runs mostly at Santa Anita, Del Mar, and as of right now, he's still allowed to run there because the bands that are in place are done by the track owners themselves, Churchill Downs Incorporated and New York Racing Association. We're still waiting for a ruling from the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission regarding the Medina Spirit uh, situation. I don't think it will be super, super uh, long, any suspension that he receives. Um, I think, you know, this drug was a relatively minor one. Now, it will result in a DQ, uh, assuming they follow the letter of the law, but I'd be really shocked if we see him suspended for something longer than, say, a month, and it might be as short as 15 days. You just never know. All right, Byron, keep an eye on your clock. We're down to about seven minutes to cover these races. But you already painted the, the Stephen Foster with a broad brush. It's not the most sensational or deep field that we've seen in uh, what's turned out to be a really, really good race over the years. Uh, it's still a grade two at 600,000. And I got a feeling in this race, if you're going to be talking about it and handicapping it, you got to pretty much say, okay, who, what horses do I want to put underneath Maxfield? With that said, remember this, a wise handicapper once told me, don't 
ever bet on a horse to do something he's never done before, and Maxfield has never run a mile and an eighth. Well, I guess that is true. Um, I I would not be overly concerned about that, personally. I think that most of the reason he hasn't run that is because some of his schedule has been interrupted. I wouldn't... Nothing about him, when I look at how he runs, makes me go, oh, he can't run a mile and a night, you know. He did run third in his one race at a mile and a quarter in the Santa Anita Handicap. Uh, but, you know, he has extensive experience at a mile and 16th, and he's also three for three at Churchill Downs. So right. you're eliminating, uh, you know, will he handle the racetrack? He doesn't really have to ship very far. He's been training at Keeneland. Uh, even the weight in the race, so this used to be a handicap. Remember those? Whenever a handicap, I do. Uh, they Remember don't have many of them anymore. And so as a result, what happens? You know, <laughs> Maxfield is carrying 121 pounds. You know, most of his rivals are carrying 119. Whoop de doo, right? I mean, that's no uh, <laughs> no big deal. I mean, in the old days, a handicap, he'd probably be, you know, 124, 125, and the rest of them 15, 16. You know, so right. Uh, but anyhow, it's a different era now. Well, we will find out, but definitely, uh, you know, he's the one to key. And for people that are playing either horizontal or vertical, I think you can put a ring around Maxfield because uh, this horse, except for one uh, foray out to Santa Anita, where he tested a mile and a quarter, is uh, perfect. Uh, right now, he's seven starts, six wins, and a third. And a win in here will get him over the million-dollar mark. Well, it's not the only race. Uh, sad to say, uh, the, the floor de Lee came up really short field. Uh, did Latruska scare everybody off? I think she was a contributing factor. However, you know, I think when racetracks add up the amount of starters they get for the dollar, one thing you can consistently count on is if you have a race for older fillies and mares on dirt, I mean, unless it's the Breeders' Cup distaff, usually these things have five or six. They just simply do not have deep fields for these kind of races in contrast, you know, to turf races, which might have, you know, 10 or more. Uh, there's just too many options. And <clears throat> to be honest, they're coming back. Latruska is coming back kind of quick. It's a bit of a surprise to see her in here. She won the FIPS on Belmont Day, which was only three weeks ago, and now she's coming back. And while three weeks is, you know, it's not like it's super short by any means. Obviously, the horses come back on two weeks rest or run from the Derby into the Preakness. Uh, but when you're dealing with these grade one caliber horses, we're just so accustomed to seeing them have their races spaced out five, six, eight weeks, that kind of thing. So it is... Uh, a bit quicker than normal for her, but she has been dynamite. She is giving a little bit more of a weight spread than Maxfield is. She carries 124 pounds on Voutant. Uh, her main rival, seemingly, uh, carries 119, yeah. as do most of the other runners in the field. And to make a, a, a case for Envoutant, as far as uh, hometown horse, four starts at Churchill, three victories and a second, and 
She is experienced at the mile on eighth, tried it once, and got the win. Brian Hernandez, of course, having a very good meet over there at Churchill Downs. Kenny McPeak trains horse that could possibly give Latruska a run for her money. Well, uh, the race just prior to the Stephen Foster uh, will be the wise Dan. I'm down to two minutes to post. This was a more of a little wide open field, I thought, Byron. I'd give a slight class nod to field pass because uh, Mike Maker hasn't been dodging anybody with that horse, and this race is set to go on the grass. It is set to go on the grass, and I think uh, this is a race that some like at Hot Brown has a tactical advantage. Uh, yes. He looks like the speed of the race, and even field pass, who showed speed last time, it was in a you know, a, a turf marathon, the man of war, he traditionally stalks. And he, like some like at Hot Brown, is trained by Mike Maker. So why in the world would you have your two horses battle, right? So um, it would stand to reason that field pass will be rated and some like at Hot Brown will uh, uh, go to the front, which is his preferred way of running, but not how he won the dinner party last out at Pimlico. I was very impressed. He he raided that day and was just uh, really determined in victory. And he seems to me to be back on his game. Uh, his main rival would be Set Piece, who is on a, a roll-winning two stakes races here at Churchill Downs. Ungraded races, but they were very, very good, surprisingly good uh, for the purses that they ran. Yeah, the horse just seems to be getting better and better. And it's been racing on what's termed as a good turf course in its last two starts at Churchill Downs. And uh, I, I know there's a chance of weather being a little bit wait, uh, uh, wet, whether or not it will make a difference uh, on that turf course. We'll find out. And I'm a big fan of some like it hot brown. I mean, I've watched that horse all along. And, uh, you know, Maker's done a great job with him. And uh, a son of Derby winner, Big Brown, who hasn't set the breeding world on fire, but uh, was a damn good horse when he was at the racetrack. Well, Byron he King. He wasn't. Speaking of the turf, one last thing yes. I have to say for your fans, just so they make sure they don't miss me. Remember that Churchill is redoing their turf course after this meet, and in fact, it won't even be ready for the September meet. So uh, we are going to have a break in turf racing action for a while at Churchill. So uh, enjoy it while it lasts this week all right we will hopefully it'll come back one one that that that's even even greener and better byron king from the blood horse thank you much for joining us in the first segment of the show uh we had hugh drexler it was interesting finding out about his career and of course the fantastic card they have at thistledown you're not used to playing thistledown well heck folks pull down the easy win forms just go to winning ponies got dot com and check out our slew of winners it's right there on the website We've had a one heck of a week. I will tell you that, but we always do. And you can go check it. Don't think I'm just blowing smoke, folks. So pull down the easy win forms and have some fun wherever your betting brings you this weekend. I'm John Engelhart. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.